Uh, we, we are uh, concluding a series um, at looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. As I've mentioned throughout this series, um, if you learn nothing else from this series, I hope that you uh, maybe think about the fact that it is likely this is some of the first Christian writing that we have. People think this is some of the, the first writing um, that as, as Paul is, is writing to this young uh, church, and it's really encouraging and just really a, a very practical book. And there's so much more that I could have preached on, but I learned not to do like 40 week series. Like it's, it would be interesting for me and maybe like two other people in the room, but like not everybody um, would, would want to like dive in that deep. When I got out of grad school, I remember I taught a class um, in like the young adults. And when I was teaching the class, I was really excited about this Greek word that I was about to teach them. And I, was, I taught them it and they had no idea. What, like, they didn't care at all. So I was like, all right, I got to like tone it back sometimes. I can't do, you know, 40 week series on First Thessalonians or um, people might not be super interested. But at the end of the book of Thessalonians, there's a bunch of, of practical wisdom about what it looks like to live in community. Because community's hard. I think everybody wants um, community, but it's, it's hard. I, I've seen signs even on churches that'll say, like, come to find community here. But community isn't found, it, it's forged. It's about, you know, being in relationship with people, sometimes people you disagree with, and finding ways to, to love each other even in the midst of that. So there's all this practical advice about being in community, but I thought that this set of verses um, on a more individual level uh, would be, I think, super helpful um, to us at the end of 1 Thessalonians. Is I think it has some real practical wisdom for today. So 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 16, uh, says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Paul concludes this letter as he's coming to the close, saying these three things, these are God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. The word that is translated rejoice, sorry, a little bit of Greek, but the word that's translated rejoice um, is the verb form of the noun joy. So Paul, in some of the earliest Christian writing that we have, he commands joy. And we don't really do a good job at that. You know, sometimes, like, we're able to celebrate. There's moments like, like today where we're celebrating Lincoln. There's, there's moments that we do it. But he says, you know, have this perspective of, of joy. Look at your life in, in such a way that you would choose to pursue the good, that you would find meaning and, and purpose in the things that you are doing. And it's interesting because I, I believe that, you know, Paul is, is inspired by God's spirit to give us these, these words. And it's interesting that in this book, like, Paul commands joy. He says, find a way to have that perspective. And I think it makes sense because when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he, he says hard things to people. He has hard conversations with people. But he's also so comfortable in his own skin. Remember his first miracles, turning water to wine. And not just like a little bit of wine. So much wine, they have way too much. And it's like he didn't bring out the two-buck chuck. He brought out the best stuff. It's like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, what, what just happened? 
Dallas Willard says this about the life and ministry of Jesus. He says that Jesus is the most joyous person in the universe. He's just so comfortable in his own skin with, with who he is, how he relates to people, that he's able to, to sit with people and just, you know, get to know their story, challenge them at times, but to just show them love. He just has the presence of God in him. And Paul, then, some of the first Christian writing that we have, he commands this church, be joyous, always. And I could just stop right there, because that's a lesson I need to learn. <laughs> it's easy to get, you know, sometimes bogged down with what's going on in my life, or to focus and talk about what it is that, you know, I'm struggling with. There was a time in my ministry, I was talking with a mentor of mine, and he said, um, as I was just sharing a little bit, he said, well, how much of this are you talking about with your wife? And I said, you know, it's probably three nights a week or so. And he said, sometimes you need to pause and say, do I really need to talk about this? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you need to share it with a mentor or a friend and, you know, commiserate a little bit. But there's times that we can get, you know, kind of stuck in our own stuff, and then we know, like, if I say this one line, we're having a four-hour conversation. Do I really want to sit in that? And that's true individually as well. Do I really want to, like, keep cycling through this idea over and over again? And as I think about people who, who've gone before, one of the things that I love about our church is that I get to be legitimately friends with people like Lincoln and Cecilia who are, are showing me how to live in some ways. And I, I've seen people who, at the end of their lives, like they just have something about them that I want to be around. And I want to be that person at the end. I want to be that person who has like the joy of God in me. I want to be someone that Maybe someone could say, man, he's, he's full of a lot of joy. He's not the most joyous person in the universe, because Jesus was, but he was full of the sustaining joy of God. Willard goes on to talk about this idea, and I think it's, it's pretty profound. Uh, what place in the world would you say you see God the most as you think about creation? Maybe you're a mountain person. Um, I, I'm a beach person, personally. Here's a picture of a beach um, looks nice. What's the place that you see God the most? I remember I was with my friend, and his son was two years old, and he was seeing the beach for the very first time. And he's walking his son, he's really excited about it. And his son was terrified because of just how big it is. And I try not to take that for granted when I go to the beach now, when you just kind of sit there and think about, you know, 70% of the world is, is this. And as we learned this week with what happened with that submarine, like it's, we're not really in that much control over it, right? There's moments in all of our lives that we just need to pause and like recognize the, the beauty that's there. It's an act of worship to come join us at the beach on July 16th, right? We're going to go do that together. It, it really is. To, to set aside some time, and of course, you can be non-worshipful at the beach, but it's an act of worship. I'm going to go you know, spend some time in places where I connect with God, whether you be a mountain person or someone who loves the beach or a place that, that you are able to just center yourself. And Dallas Willard talks about 
how whatever that happens to be for you, whatever your answer would be at thinking about that, uh, Willard says God is, is omnipresent, so God is in all of these beautiful places all at once. God is filled with joy. Oftentimes when we think about church or we think about religious activity, we can think of it as, you know, what is going to be limiting or this list of um, you can't do this or you need to worry about that. But I always think of the profound words that Jesus shares in John chapter 15. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And he's sharing this with a a group of disciples, and he's about to go to the cross. They don't fully understand it. They are about, many of them, um, are going to probably suffer and die for their faith because of what they are going to experience. So it's not that it's easy or that it's always happy, but Jesus is inviting us into a more joyous kind of life. And part of that is celebrating. I don't think as, as Americans we do a very good job of celebrating of slowing down and choosing. I'm going to celebrate the things in my life. I'm going to celebrate the people that are in my life. I think without the the gift of of the Sabbath and the understanding of of taking a break on Sundays, though um, we kind of get less and less of that in our world today, we would just work and work and work. We need some time to celebrate, to spend some time with friends. When the Old Testament talks about tithing, and there's some debate about exactly all of what this means, but when the Old Testament talks about tithing, it talks about taking a, a 10% of, of what you have and then giving it as, as an offering. And that's oftentimes what we hear about in church. And I think that that's important and trying to figure out what that might look like to be generous with what you have is a really important spiritual concept. But what's interesting is then there's some more um, that is mentioned about the tithe that, that is fascinating to me. Later in Deuteronomy, this is the part you don't... You usually here in church, use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Wait, that's in the Bible? What? Wine or other fermented drink, like even the moonshine my uncle has? I got to be careful with some of that stuff. But think about this. Like, this is the part of tithe. Like, we don't really talk about all that much. And some people would debate that, like, 10% would go uh, to God, and then 10% would be used uh, to celebrate. But uh, however it ultimately looks, like, this is part of, of the command of what you're supposed to do with what God has given you. People call this the party tithe. Just that, man, what, what do you like? What do you enjoy? And not that you just keep it to just yourself, but throw a special party. Invite your friends over. Recognize that, you know, you're not going to be around forever. All you have is this moment. Invite some people over and, and, and celebrate. Spend some time recognizing the good gifts that you have. Don't just get so focused on one way of, of using what you have and get caught up in it, but like celebrate. Throw a party. 
Richard Foster writes a book called Celebration of Discipline, and he writes about many Christian disciplines, many that we might, might be familiar with. Uh, but there is one chapter that he writes about celebration, how celebrating is a discipline of the people of God. And he says, God has established a created order full of excellent and good things. It follows naturally that as we give our attention to those things, we will be happy. That is God's appointed way to joy. If we think about what, well, we will have joy only by praying. If we think we only will have joy by praying and singing psalms, we'll be disillusioned. But if we fill our lives with simple good things and constantly thank God for them, we will be joyful. That is full of joy. Celebration is a spiritual. First Christian writing that we have says, celebrate. Thankful for what you have. And he continues, pray continually. And whenever you think about prayer or talk about prayer, everyone's like, oh, you know, I wish I, wish I could get a little better. And that's totally true. I'm with you on that. But I hope that whenever we do talk about prayer, we recognize that it isn't to make you feel guilty, but to invite you into a different kind of life. And I hope that whenever we talk about prayer, maybe at least for a week or two, like you'll get back on the path and get back to some rhythms and routines that maybe have been helpful to you in the past. If you ever want to talk about prayer, I know Austin and I, I would be happy. There's so many different ways that we can pray. And I would love to talk with you about what that looks like, because prayer does unbelievably good things. Look at the research uh, yourself. There's great things that um, prayer accomplishes, even by just sitting there and being with God for a minute by redirecting your thoughts away from the things that are going on in your life to a place that isn't just the problems that you have right in front of you. A great practice of prayer would be to maybe just set an alarm on your phone and two or three times a day just to say, God, I'm here. Is there anything you want me to do? Or to slow down and recite a verse that helps you. What would it look like for you to grow in that awareness? I have a pastor friend of mine that says, I don't pray because I'm good at it. I pray because it's essential. And I need a place other than here, other than the problems, the stresses, the things that are happening, to just be with God, to then be a better person, to be a better parent. I know for me, one of the gifts of um, working with the prayer list that we have at church, which I send out in my emails. If you're not on my emails, I'd love to put you on there. But one of the gifts of that is like spending some time praying and um, praying about the needs of our church. And what it does is it leads me to action. It leads me to check up, you know, what's going on? How, how are you doing? What's happening with that thing? Prayer helps me to get outside of myself. There's a spiritual director named Janice Stevens. She talks about prayer. She says this, slowly but surely, I'm learning to be in two places at once. Having a meal with my friends and in the presence of God. Baking cookies in the presence of God. At work and in the presence of God. As we cultivate a deeper prayer life, we find a way to be in two places at once with God and also in our lives. And Paul concludes by talking about gratitude. You would give thanks to God. 
you'd be thankful for the good things that you've experienced. And I know you've got problems in your life. There are things that that stress you out, but those things are always going to be there. You think that once you solve one of them, it's going to like make you arrive at a certain point, but then there's just another one. Talk to someone a little older than you. What would it look like for you to look at your life through the lens of gratitude? Say, I'm going to choose to look at the good things. I'm going to choose to focus on the the things that, that are good, and I'm going to start from that place. Something that's been a blessing, Manny and I, when we got married, we kind of just did this on our own, but on uh, Sunday evenings, we do affirmations, and so we just share something that, you know, you, you've blessed me this week by doing this or, or doing that. That's been uh, real great fuel for our marriage. I think it does a couple different things. First, um, it gives me eyes to see Mandy to look for good things, to notice all the good that she's doing for me. Because when you're married, you can like fall into certain roles. Like if you kind of take care of this, you kind of take care of that. But it helps me to go like, hey, you know, I, I really appreciate that, that you, you do this. So it gives me eyes to, to see her. And then it helps me to think about being the kind of person that she might have something to say about on Sunday night. So I try not to just think about, oh, here's what I typically do. I try to think, okay, how, how could... I go a little out of the ordinary. How, how could I just take a different step? And I've tried more recently practicing that, not just with her, but also in my life. Just, I know there's psychological practices of just, just writing down three things that you're thankful for uh, to start out the day. And it changes everything. And I know, again, your, your life is hard. You have a lot of things uh, that are going on. It, it's stressful. There's things that you have to deal with. But what if you could like, work on those stresses and those difficulties from a place of, of joy and thanksgiving and gratitude? To walk into your day with this sort of perspective. And I know it, it's hard uh, to like, really appreciate just like, how, how simple this is in some ways, but actually to put it into practice, it's, it's difficult, and there's things that are going on. But Paul is writing this to a group of likely persecuted Christians. He dealt in chapter 4 with the fact that, you know, some of them maybe have died, and maybe have died for their faith. And so he, he's writing to people who likely are, are extremely poor and don't have a whole lot going for them. I know there's things that are hard about your life, but Paul writes this to people who had a whole lot of stuff going on. These aren't people who had just like an easy life. He says, this is is going to bless you if you practice this. And so he gives these these three examples. And then he says, this is God's will for your life. That you would be this kind of person. Oftentimes when it comes to God's will, we think of only like the big decisions, right? We think of like, you know, should I take a job somewhere else? Or should I get more serious in this relationship? You know, what, what, how am I supposed to figure this out? God, should I, should I start a whole new career? And we think of it like kind of a tightrope and we're just walking. It's like, okay, I don't want to fall off and, and get zapped. But oftentimes, I think when it comes to those big type decisions, maybe there's some that God's like, okay, you really shouldn't um, do this or you really shouldn't do that. But I think a lot of times God's like, wow, you want to move to Albuquerque? Awesome. Be my person there. And I want you to be this type of person there. Where you want to start a new career? Okay. 
I want you to be that type of person there. And so we try to think about God's will for our lives. And there are passages like this that literally say, this is God's will for your life. There's a pastor, Steve Rodriguez, says this. We want, we want God uh, to tell us um, what to do, but we refuse to obey what we already know. We want God to like, give us the one big answer and say, like, all right, you know, like, give me the answer. Like, what am I supposed to do in this situation? When we have passages that tell us, like, this, this is how you're formed into the kind of person that, that God wants you to be. This is what it looks like. Celebrate always. I love the, the book of Leviticus. If you read through the book of Leviticus, and I know you, it's really hard to read through because it's super weird, but the book of Leviticus is like a party planning guide. And if you know somebody who is like a real practicing um, Jewish believer, like they are, there's always celebrations. There's all of these things that are going on. Like there's like, and Leviticus is like, you, you take this cow and you sacrifice it. And then like you spend time and you have this, this meal and, and you celebrate. And this is exactly how you do it. Because God knows we're, we're bad at celebrating. We're bad at continuing to, to see the good that we have in life. And I think one of the curses of, of our generation is there's just so much information and so we even have like the ability maybe to celebrate something for a moment, but then someone comes in and is like, well, but you know that we just sometimes need to just be able to celebrate and be thankful. Because this is God's will for you. And I, I love this because, again, this is some of the first Christian writing that we have, and it's still so practical today. And the best news is you and I, we could all do this. It doesn't take someone with a fancy degree or somebody who like has all the answers. We could all do this. And isn't this like set of verses, just isn't it the like, great news for today? Look at these three things that we could choose to participate in. Rejoice always instead of being cynical. Pray continually. Have a space that you could go to with God instead of just being constantly distracted by a whole bunch of junk. Give thanks in all circumstances instead of being entitled. I know that your life is hard and there are stresses about your life, but it, it is likely you are one of the richest people in the history of your family line. Maybe someone in previous generations was, was first, but it's likely that you're toward the top. And I know that's hard to believe, but I think about uh, my grandmother who tell, told a story about how when during the Depression, she got a nickel for her birthday, and she went out in the front yard and yelled, I'm the richest little girl in the world. A nickel. And obviously, a nickel is probably worth 20 bucks now, right? Let's be with inflation. But it's likely that you have an unbelievable amount of blessing in your life. If you just have the eyes to see it. And so again, the best news about this is it's just so practical, and you could do it tomorrow. And I don't often give homework, but I would just love for you, and this will be in my email, but just to, to choose some 
practice. And the best part of this is that you can just choose the celebration one and go like have a meal with a friend. That'll be awesome. But what is something in these three things that you can commit to working on this week? And hopefully, maybe it'll become a regular rhythm. And I don't want you to think of this as, as a burden because Jesus says, I've come that you would have an abundant life. This isn't about a list of responsibilities. This is inviting you into a better kind of life. So what's one of these things that this week you could work on? I don't want you to share it with somebody yet. I would love for you to eventually but just take 30 seconds and just think of one of these areas. Just a couple practical examples. Rejoice always, like I said, go have a meal with a friend. Make it longer than 30 minutes. Pray continually. Put a, a timer on your phone three times a day. You take three minutes. Pray. Give thanks in all circumstances. Start a gratitude practice. There are so many examples of how you could do this, but just one at the beginning of the morning, just write down three things that you're thankful for. So just take 30 seconds and think about something that you can commit to. I hope we all recognize that this is an invitation into a, a better kind of life. A deeper kind of life, one that we're more present with our family and friends and the people who care about us. One where we see the good that is in our lives and not what we lack. And one that finds a way to spend time with God. So in a real way, we're in two places at once. God's presence is with us. I'll say these, these simple yet profound thoughts from Paul one more time. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for verses like this, which are still just so practical. And Father, help us to recognize the good news that we could all do this this week. That it's not hard. And that it invites us all into a deeper, more meaningful kind of life. Father, be with us as, as we've made some commitments of something that we want to work on. Help us to, to do that because you've invited us into a more joyful kind of life.
no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, God, help us to just get back on the road and to live with this perspective that Paul gives us, to constantly let that be the reset of our lives that we go to over and over again. Help us to follow in the pattern of your son who is just the most joyous person in the universe. Your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.